Greetings and welcome to the Cathartic Yardstick with your hosts, Ray and Mark. In this episode, your intrepid hosts explore the mysteries of teleportation, invisibility, and the Philadelphia experiment. How can you lose a Navy ship? I heard the Danish Navy keeps track of their ships by putting barcodes on them. That way, they can Scandinavian. Get it? Yo, welcome to the Cathartic Yardstick Podcast with Ray and Mark. Uh, I'm Ray in New York, and joining me from Virginia is Mark. How you doing, Mark? I'm good. I'm in Virginia. I'm Mark. You are. <laughs> All night you will be Mark in Virginia. All night. I'm going to stay in character. And uh, I know we usually talk about uh, in the early days firing up the Yetis, but uh, I'm no longer using the Yeti mic. I'm, uh, I'm using the, the Golden Age D2 mic. I'm sure whatever Ray is using has a quite tight polar pattern. It it, it does indeed. Yes. You know, I would yes. expect nothing less. And, and a large diaphragm so I can uh, really rattle it when I get close. Can we say that on, inter- on the internet? As long as we mark it as adult content. Uh, okay. It, it's okay. okay. Good, good. It's okay. I was uncomfortable with tight polar pattern, much less this other stuff, this diaphragm stuff. And I am actually back out in the garage. Uh which I haven't been since October uh, for this. And the, the acoustics, surprisingly, are pretty good out here. Just uh, uh, sometimes there's a little uh, highway noise from my 90. But with the, the new microphone, since it's, it's a d- dynamic mic, I can set it so it doesn't pick up that kind of background noise. And uh, I'm actually uh, liking the new setup. Good. Glad to hear it. So what are we talking about tonight? Tonight we're talking about the Philadelphia Experiment. Tonight's episode, The Philadelphia Experiment. <laughs> and uh, it's funny, I, I asked Michelle if she if the, the name Philadelphia Experiment meant anything to her, and she just said, well, wasn't that a movie? And, and I asked my younger daughter, what's The Philadelphia Experiment? And she had no idea. So there's definitely a, a certain generational thing, and, and also kind of if you're into the, the whole conspiracy theory, UFO, sci-fi, uh, subculture, it, it means something to you. But probably for the average person, it doesn't. Well, this is the service we perform for you f- for free. That's right. How lucky are you? <laughs> you join us in the fringe elements here as we, uh, we explore stuff that may be stranger than fiction. Yeah, and pretty cool. Okay, I will tell the story. Sit back with a glass of something bubbly and listen to the story here. But basically, according to folklore, the Philadelphia experiment was an alleged military experiment uh, supposedly being carried out by the Navy at the Philadelphia shipyard sometime around October 28th, 1943. According to the story, the Navy destroyer escort USS Eldridge was claimed to have been rendered invisible or cloaked to enemy devices. Uh, But mixed in with the story are elements of interdimensional time shifts and teleportation. The Navy denied any such experiments, and the details of the story differ uh, with official logbooks dealing with the Eldridge whereabouts. But, you know, what is all this about? Basically, in 1955, there was an astronomer and UFO researcher by the name of Morris K. Jessup, and he had just released a book entitled The Case for the UFO. After the release of the book, Jessup received two letters from a Carlos Miguel Allende, who also identified himself as Carl M. Allen in other correspondence. But Allende, or Allen, 
uh, claimed to have witnessed a secret World War II experiment at the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard. According to Allende, in this experiment, the destroyer escort USS Eldridge was rendered invisible, teleported to New York, teleported to another dimension where it encountered aliens, teleported through time, resulting in the deaths of several sailors, some of whom became fused with the ship's hull. Uh, Jessup dismissed Allende as a crackpot, amazingly enough. Uh, But in early 1957, Jessup was contacted by the Office of Naval Research in Washington. Uh, The ONR had received a package containing a paperback copy of the case for the UFO in a manila envelope marked Happy Easter. The book had been extensively annotated in its margins uh, and in written in three different shades of pink ink. Uh, There appeared in detail on the side uh, correspondence amongst three individuals, only one of whom was given a name, Jemmy, J-E-M-I. The ONR labeled the other two as Mr. A and Mr. B. ONR has great imagination. The annotators referred to each other as gypsies and discussed two different types of people living in outer space. Their texts contained non-standard use of capitalization and punctuation and detailed a lengthy discussion of the merits of various elements of Jessup's assumptions in his book. There were oblique references to the Philadelphia experiment. Based on the handwriting style and subject matter, Jessup concluded that a large part of the writing was actually Allende's. Others have the same conclusion, and the three styles of annotations are from the same person using three pens. That's what most people think. The ONR funded a small printing of about 100 copies of the volume using the Texas-based Vero Manufacturing Company. And so later you'll see references known as the Vero edition or the Vero annotations. Jessup tried to publish more books on the subject of UFOs, but he was unsuccessful. Losing his publisher and experiencing a succession of downturns in his personal life ultimately led him to commit suicide in Florida on April 30, 1959. The experiment was allegedly based on an aspect of unified field theory, which was an Einstein theory about how electromagneticism and gravity could be brought together in a single field. As the story goes, some researchers thought that some version of this field could be initiated using generators to bend light around an object like a ship via refraction so the object would become invisible. Another theory that the ship would just uh, become invisible to enemy radar. Uh, The Navy regarded this as having military value, so it sponsored the experiment. There are no reliable, attributable accounts, but most accounts of the supposed experiment, the USS Eldridge was fitted with the required equipment in the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard. Testing began in the summer of 43. It was supposedly successful to a limited extent. One test resulted in the Eldridge being rendered nearly invisible, with some witnesses reporting a greenish fog appearing in its place. Crew members allegedly complained of severe nausea afterwards. Also reportedly when the ship reappeared, Some sailors were embedded in the metal structures of the ship, including one sailor who ended up on a deck below that where he began and had his hand embedded in the steel hull of the ship, as well as some sailors who went insane. According to lore, the experiment was repeated on October 28, 1943. This time, Eldridge not only became invisible, 
but she disappeared from the area in a flash of blue light and was teleported to Norfolk, Virginia, over 200 miles away. It's claimed that Eldridge sat uh, for some time in the view of men aboard the ship SS Andrew Farsuth, uh, whereabouts the Eldridge vanished and then reappeared in Philadelphia at the site that it originally occupied. It's also said that the warship went approximately 10 minutes back in time. So there's many versions of the tale that include description of serious side effects for the crew. Some crew members were said to have been physically fused to bulkheads while others suffered from mental disorders. Some rematerialized inside out and still others vanished. So that's the basic story of the Philadelphia experiment. And and that story was the basis for... uh for subsequent stories and the story changed over time and was retold and one of those was in 1963 vincent gaddis published a book entitled invisible horizons true mysteries of the sea and in that book he recounted the story of the philadelphia experiment from the vero annotations which again was that copy of the book that curiously the office of naval intelligence published and then in, in 1978 uh george e simpson and neil r Berger published a 1978 novel titled Thin Air. In this book, set in present day, the Naval Intelligence Service officer investigates several... um, Let me start again. A Naval Intelligence Service officer investigates several threads linking wartime visibility experiments to conspiracy involving matter transmission technology. The story was popular... The story was popular... Cigar box. Cigar box. box. (laughs) (laughs) The story was popular. (laughs) The story was popularized. It was popularized in 1979. The password is popularized. (laughs) When Charles Berlitz and co-author UFO ufologist William L. Moore published the Philadelphia Experiment Project Invisibility, which purported to be a factual account of Philadelphia Experiment. The book expanded on stories of bizarre happenings, lost unified field theories by Albert Einstein, and, a, and government cover-ups, all based on the Allende Allen letters to Jessup. Of course, in 1984, the story was adapted into a film about the Philadelphia Experiment. And I saw that, and it really didn't have much to do with, with the, 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 the classic tale. It involved? Did, did you see that movie? I sure did. Wasn't it like an aircraft carrier traveling back to uh, fight the Japanese or something? No, that was Final Countdown. Oh, okay. Yeah, the Philadelphia experiment did kind of track with this. Oh, with it this did. General okay. Allen. Yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah, seen these was that the one where two sailors ended up getting off the ship and stuck like yes. back in time or something? Okay, all right, that yeah. was the one. Yeah, right. they were they were running around through fields and stuff and getting in, getting in a fight in a bar stuff like that. Yeah, now it's it is interesting to note that there are no new sources of data, and pretty much the the only source is the uh, the the Allen material. Uh, you know, most authors have just kind of used the original source material, and then just also reported on uh, the urban folklore that that are, that's connected to it. Naval personnel suggested that the alleged event was a misunderstanding of routine research during World War II at the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard into degaussing experiments designed to make a ship undetectable or invisible to magnetic mines. Another possible origin of the stories about levitation, teleportation, and the effects of human crew might be attributed to experiments with the generating plant on the destroyer USS uh, Timmerman 
whereby high-frequency generators produce coronal discharges, although none of the crew reported suffering any effects from the experiment. The USS Eldridge was not commissioned until August 27, 1943, and it remained important in New York City until September 1943. The October experiment allegedly took place while the ship was on its first shakedown cruise in the Bahamas, although proponents of the story claim that the ship's log may have been falsified or still be classified. The ONR stated in September 1996 that it never conducted investigations on radar invisibility, either in 1943 or in any other time. In 1999, at a reunion of Eldridge vets, the vets indicated during an interview that the in the, with a Philadelphia newspaper that the ship never made port in Philadelphia. Also possible that a ship did go from Philadelphia shipyard to Norfolk in a single day. While merchant ships can't perform that feat, military ships may, may have been able to do so. German subs had ravaged shipping along the East Coast during Operation Drumbeat. Military ships could not protect themselves. Military ships that could not protect themselves were secretly moved to channels in the Chesapeake Bay. And that pretty much wraps up the story of the Philadelphia Experiment, which has all the elements of your classic um, conspiracy theory, urban folklore. You know, it, it's got, it, and it's, it's interesting, a lot of these stories kind of follow the same pattern where you have a source who's, who's hiding out, who's got some information, it's like a deathbed confession, or, or they just can't live with the truth anymore, or someone's pursuing them, and they contact someone who's got an outlet, either a writer or, or someone who's, who's got a radio show or a newspaper, and they tell their story. And um, there's always an element of, uh, of cover-up, of they've got to people, they've falsified records, and usually somebody in this whole scenario ends up dying a mysterious death. And in this one, Jessup did allegedly commit suicide in Florida at the end of the story. You know, you can you can see where um, there's fertile ground for stories to come up because when, once you explain the whole degaussing exercise, but it's the kind of thing I could generate rumors. People are hearing pieces of it, and it's it's alien to them, but it's really fairly routine. Although, is that just the the, the cover story? Was there really experiments in, in trying to make a ship invisible to radar? It's it's not that far fetched. You know, sending it through time and space is, but and the fact that um, the Office of Naval Research published the book, you know, a small printing of it. Why would they do that? You know, that's a very curious event to me. That is that that's that's a very bizarre thing. Yeah, it's it's like they're they're running with the the most outrageous cover story to cover up something else. I think more likely, you know, if Jessup was the run, the one who wrote all the margin articles he probably paid for a run of a hundred i don't know why the office of naval research would care yeah i i, I don't know but basically i mean ray, ray can explain it better than i can but uh, basically in world war ii you had a lot of submarine activity but you also had magnetic magnetic mines that would get attracted in shallow water to ships and so what the ships would try to do is neutralize their magnetic field, in essence, right? Becoming less of a target. Yeah, you know, I did a little more research on that, and it, it is a bit fuzzy. I, maybe just they don't publish a lot of stuff that's defense-related. But from what I understand is um, I, the kind of mines I was thinking of that stick to the ship are, are limpet mines. The, the magnetic mines actually have a magnetic uh, trigger. And... Uh, 
but I, I was reading that it's it's in milligauss. That's how it's, it takes a very small amount of magnetism to to set these things off. So the um, the degaussing. I was kind of getting two different stories doing the research, but the degaussing is supposed to uh, eliminate the magnetic field around the boat, so it doesn't set off the triggers on the mines. And, and apparently that that wasn't a big secret. Uh, they were doing it in England before we were doing it here. But you you can imagine if you were in the Navy doing that to ships, you know, so basically the mines won't know they're there. You know, the parents would walk around, my son's making ships invisible to mines. Right. You can see how the story would spiral away. Yeah, and uh, I did see the the um, the Vero version of the book. Uh, oh, you available. did? Yeah, it's available online with the three-color ink. And, Ooh. Uh, they changed it. It wasn't three colors of pink. They just used three different colors. But uh, I did find that. Also out there is the 1996 statement by the Office of Naval Research uh, saying that they weren't doing any experiments in uh, in radar cloaking for naval vessels. Which, I, you know, I'm, I'm very skeptical about that because, you know, they certainly did a lot of that with, with aircraft. Why wouldn't they do it with ships? That's right. I mean, you'll, you'll see old footage of... Um of the Air Force messing around with um, the German flying wing and stuff like that. And, of course, that didn't become practical to fly until you had computer controls. Uh, it was too unstable. But, um, you know, the whole idea was to cut down on your radar your radar profile. And so if they're doing that in the air, um, why wouldn't they be doing it at sea as well? And as you and I were, were talking the other day, I mean, my, my you know, my pet, theory it's not fully fleshed out but when you think of um you know an alien ship crashing in roswell well roswell was the home of walker air force base and you know about probably i don't know um you know a couple hundred miles away um was holloman air force base in alamogordo new mexico and uh, i know they were doing some high altitude balloon tests there there was a research facility there so it would make total sense that um, you'd be working on early stealth technology. And if you're going to take a test hop in one of these things, you're not going to land at El Paso International Airport. Um, you know, you're probably going to fly to another Air Force base nearby, but it's highly uh, unstable and it crashes. And then you need a cover story, you know, but when you get into why would it still be classified? I don't know. Unless it's a real thing and they're still using it. Or it could be, it could be literally time travel, but I doubt it. We've already established that time travel is impossible. So that's what uh, you that, said. That's, that's well. That's what I know. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna accept things like that from somebody who can't say cigar box. <laughs> <laughs> so wh- why why uh, why conspiracy theories? What's the attraction? I was uh, ran into an article uh, by uh, Dr. David Ludden in Psychology Today, and he said that there's a number of things that are appealing about conspiracy theories. Uh, one is that uh, people have a desire for understanding and certainty. Uh, also that there's a desire for control and security and a desire to maintain a, a positive self-image. And, and I think, I mean, the, like the other thing I've read, and we've talked about this before, but things like the Kennedy assassination, you, you take the most powerful man on the planet, and it's kind of hard to believe that some loser with a $15 Italian rifle can take him out. Um, and so people naturally try to lash on to an equal and opposite big story it was the mafia it was the cubans it was a conspiracy and so i suppose if you you know if you have a choice you know you have this story about you know big technology rendering uh, warships invisible to something um 
there's a desire to basically do more, you know, to say more than, yeah, you strap an electric cable around the ship and it makes it less of a target. You know, you want to come up with this big thing, like time travel. Yeah, I think it's also uh, helps people channel some of their mistrust of, of government and large institutions that are, you know, there's a small group of people that are controlling everything. Uh, and, you know, some of it ties into that. And you can say, see, see, you know. Hey, my mistrust of government has been earned. Thank you. <laughs> That's right. You've, you've been there. You've been on the inside. You're still on the inside. OPM has breached all my data. Has, you know, the, the Chinese have it. <laughs> it's like, come on, man, like twice. You know, first, first it's like, oh, we're sorry, your personnel file. It's like, oh, great, right. your security <laughs> clearance files. I'm really sorry. <laughs> yes, I trust you. Which, which also goes into, um, would the government be capable of keeping big secrets? I don't know. I, I don't know. Someone's got to talk. There's a certain group of people that did, uh, that kind of fan the flames of these conspiracies. Uh, some do it for profit. Some do it for prestige. You know, they, they claim to have some sort of, you know, hidden or occult knowledge of these things. And what's interesting is if you want to be a center of influence, I suppose you can try to be a center of influence with regular people. Or if you have a whole group of people that are into conspiracy theories, if you want that to be your community, you could be a center of influence with them too. Right. <laughs> you know, and write the books and become a guest speaker on the circuit. Yeah. It's a living. And I think it's a combination of people who are just outright intentionally misleading people and just making it up and, and just kind of tying into this wherever they can, just you know, to boost their own self-esteem and, and their own popularity. And I think people also, unfortunately, suffer from a shared delusion about some of these things. Probably so. Not me. Not me. Not, not <laughs> I don't believe any of it. That's right. That's, be that's because you're part of the cover-up. I am. You've been listening to the Cathartic Yardstick Podcast. Join us again. No, really, please join us again. I'm glad I didn't slip up on Shipyard. <laughs> <laughs>